Welcome to Seemingly Ordinary. It's a podcast where, on the surface, I interview people who appear to be ordinary, but underneath the surface, they have amazing things going on. My friend Tracy is a guided studies teacher. In the past, she's taught both junior high and high school, and she's taught math. She is happily married to Derek, and she has two children. Her hobbies include reading and, nerd alert, educational psychology. A few years back, Tracy and her family revolutionized how they think and act regarding money. Because money gets into every aspect of life, this almost became a total life revamp. Today, we're discussing Tracy's family's fascinating story. Hey, Tracy. Hi, Jen. Well, I have so many questions to ask you about how to live, how to plan, and what to do in specific situations. But before I ask you any of that, I just want to ask, what do you wish, when do you wish you would have started to learn about personal finance? That's a good question. Um, Sooner than I did. Um, The sooner the better. I think the first exposure I had to learning about personal finance was... um, a friend in high school, she had talked about um, how her grandma set her up with a CD, and I was so confused with the order of her sentence and how she structured that because she clearly wasn't talking about a musical CD, and this was the first I had heard of anything other than a checking or savings account. And I asked her more. I said, what is a CD? What are you talking about? And um, that really sparked my interest in the notion that we can become informed and educated on how to manage money. Before that, I wasn't aware that um, financial literacy was an actual concept. So, how, how old were you, do you think, when you heard about this CD thing? Yeah, <laughs> 17. 17. 17. So okay. if I could have, I think, been introduced to the concept of financial literacy sooner, Okay. Um, I think I, I would be in a different place than I am now, and I'm happy with where I am now, and I'm, I'm so grateful for that, that first, I think, taste of learning about money. Um, but it really wasn't until years after that that we were able to um, launch into to the knowledge we have now. I think that's a really good attitude on your part because it would just be so easy to say, well, I wish I would have known about this since I was three years old because <laughs> then I would have opened up a Roth IRA. And, you know, just I'm kind of wondering, like, the first time you heard about a CD and then your friend explained it to you, I'm sure your friend said something like, yeah, you put, like, you know, $500 in the CD and then they give you 5% interest. And then were you kind of like, whoa, wait a minute. All I have to do is do nothing and just park like $500 and then they're going to give me like 5% interest per year. I Did that whole chain of thinking kind of run through your head? A little bit. And at that point, I wanted to understand how um, a CD was different from a savings account. Um, I was familiar with interest rates and, and how money could grow. Um, but beyond just the basic savings account and the differences between the options out there, uh, I really had a lack of, of knowledge. Um, she had learned about CDs. Not only had her, her grandma set one up for her, but she had learned about financial literacy and the concept of CDs through free classes um, at a community college that her parents would send her to. So here we were high school students and she would just sign up every month to take these free classes. And that, that really was another interesting piece to her story about understanding CDs because pursuing 
classes on your own, pursuing knowledge independently and pursuing um, a better understanding of how to manage money outside of the school setting. This was mm. revolutionary to me. I, I didn't know anyone who um, was pursuing learning. In yeah, that there's way. so many parts to this. Like, oh, hey, I'm taking classes off campus mm -hmm. and I'm doing this voluntarily, not because mm -hmm. they're making me. And uh, this could be highly beneficial because it's about money and it turns out I need money to live. Exactly. You know, yeah. so that's pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Now, at this point in your life, do you have a particular belief system when it comes to personal finance? Then or now? Now. Now I certainly do. So now uh, my husband and I are big fans of Dave Ramsey and uh, we really follow his principles and, and advice. Okay, okay. Uh, let's see, and we will probably kind of get into that in quite a bit of detail, but help our listeners out a little bit. There are some people out there who maybe don't know some of his principles and advice. Are there just two or three of those that just sort of jump out at you? Because he probably, I don't know, maybe he's got like 12 or 15 or 20. He, he's got like a whole <laughs> bunch of little catchphrases, mm -hmm. like never invest in anything unless you understand it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he's got like all kinds of little catchphrases that are principles. What, what are some of the ones that really reverberate with you? The first one in simplest terms is spend less than you make. Um, it is perhaps an oversimplification of how we live, but it is so sweet in its simplicity that it's doable. Um, but it's doable because of another um, belief that he encourages people to, to practice, which is to budget. Um, and that's the actionable step to the belief of spending less than you make. Okay, so those two in particular are just monumental for you. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, and we'll get into more as we go. Uh, but why, why those two in particular? I think that drives our lifestyle. Um, being aware of where our dollars are going um, really fuels our communication as a married couple. Mm. Um, it opens opportunities for us as a family to engage and enjoy activities without guilt of wondering where the dollars are going to go and can we actually afford what we're doing. Yeah. So we can enjoy our time and be present in the activities that we've um, decided to participate in or sign up for. Um, it fuels our communication together as a couple. Um, it establishes the behaviors that we model for our children. Um, and then at the end of the month, we're, we're making sure that we're living within our means. There are so many moving parts to what you said. I just think that's absolutely fantastic. It, it sounds like it brings you closer to Derek as well. Very much so. Okay. And probably gives the kids maybe a more healthy dose of reality. You know, that money just doesn't grow on trees, absolutely. you know? But something else that I, that's implied in what you said that I really like is a budget should have room for fun. Mm -hmm. I think when people hear this word budget, I think they think sacrifice. I think they think nerd. <laughs> I think they think spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. I think they think, uh, you know, here come the, you know, the people who are going to shut us down, mm -hmm. the restrictors. They think of like the, res the people with the straight jackets who are going to keep you from spending, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. And here you're saying, no, we should be budgeting fun activities for the family. And then when we do something fun, we shouldn't feel guilty about it. We should revel in it. That's kind of what I'm hearing in between the lines. Absolutely. 
Okay, okay. Um, now, a lot of people have objections to Dave Ramsey, and I just would like to know how you would answer some of these <laughs> objections because he is polarizing. Um, he reminds me of something Timothy Ferris once said, which is you should be clear as crystal. People can love you or they can hate you, but they should never misunderstand you. And that's the thing with Dave. Some people love him. Other people hate him. He himself has said, don't turn my name into a curse word in your house. <laughs> so are you ready to discuss some of the objections to Dave? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Uh, what were your first and most immediate thoughts when you first heard about Dave Ramsey? Did you have any objections? I was um, I was the nerd who got really excited very quickly. Uh, we stumbled into Dave Ramsey, so we received um, like a gift set that included the audio CDs and the Total Money Makeover book and, and some other pieces as a wedding gift. And so it just so happened I was sitting there um, one evening and it was on the, the end table right next to me and I picked it up in between commercials and just started flipping through the pages trying to decide what am I going to do with this box sitting on the table. And um, the first few pages have me hooked because it's logic. It's logic and it speaks to, um, it, can, it can meet anyone's needs wherever they are at in financial literacy. And where I was at at the time at 24 years old, um, I started to dig into during that, that high school experience when my friend had shared with me what a CD was. Yeah. Um, I, had, I started to dig into a few books at the time and then um, took off to college and, and focused on my studies um, in that respect, but, but stepped away from learning more about finances. And so here I was now 24 years old and um, just a couple months out of being married, getting married and open this book. I didn't have many objections, but I certainly questioned, can we do this? Oh, it was really more of a, uh, it's kind of like people who watch late night infomercials for <laughs> exercise equipment. Like you're like, oh, that would be fantastic. I could get absolutely and utterly chiseled. <laughs> then you ask yourself, but can I really do this cordless bungee jumping or right. whatever it is that they want me to do? Right, yeah. It looked, a little bit like that. <laughs> it, looked, it looked tough. It looked tough and it was very different um, than anything that we had, I think, learned before. Um, we are in a culture and a society where debt is embraced and it is okay and we are flashy. Um, and so to, to go the unconventional route and to swim upstream or against the stream um, was, was something that I wondered, what, what would we be doing here? Are we going <laughs> to... Yeah. It's logic and what, what you learn when you read um, Dave Ramsey's principles. It's Ooh. very logical, but, yeah. but it goes against maybe... What Some of the things in the culture. Mm -hmm. What our yeah. culture tells us. I guess it goes against the buy it now. Mm -hmm. And if you feel like becoming super flashy, but you can't afford it, it's okay because you can borrow and you can become flashy, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So it, it just, and it makes people think ahead, plan ahead instead of do things in an impulsive way. That's right. 
You know, he's got a tough sell. I was thinking about this in context of another famous public speaker whose sales pitch is basically responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one guy was saying that most people are out there advocating, I don't know, you know, unicorns and rainbows. And here he was advocating hard work, sweat, and responsibility. And there's not a crowded marketplace for it. But the people who do advocate that, I, I'm thinking of like Joe DeSena with the Spartan race. Uh-huh. You know, his whole thing is, look, people are bored lying around on the couch doing nothing. You know, so if I can get them to run 13 miles while carrying a salt bag, <laughs> you know, and swim through muddy water and crawl <laughs> under an electric fence and I don't know, have a police dog chase you, you know, he's like, there was a real market for this. Some sure, people really, yeah. really some want adventure. to, yeah, some people want a little adventure. And with Dave, you, you kind of get that. You Absolutely. get a little adventure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so I, I feel like we've kind of talked about the anti-debt mentality that's out there a little bit. Um, Dave also is just a big critic of how some people invest. And what I mean by that is some people think, well, if I borrow 10000 at 4%, and if I can invest it and make 20%, well, 20 minus 4 16%, I can make 16%. Dave would be like, don't do that. Just don't do that because you really don't know if it's going to go up 20%. What if it goes down 20%? Mm-hmm. What, what are your thoughts on, I guess they call it opium, sure. OPM, other people's <laughs> right. money? Because it's addictive. Opium yeah. is addictive. Um, I think it's really important to be aware of where each person is at and to practice metacognition, which is thinking about our own thinking. Okay. So that means being aware of what we know, what we don't know, and how, how we think about things. So my awareness of where I stand in financial literacy is key in how I'm going to operate with Dave Ramsey's principles. Uh, The great thing about Dave Ramsey's principles is that anyone can step into it, um, regardless of whether they've taken um, no financial literacy courses or whether they are teaching financial literacy courses. It's dependable, it's reliable, it's tried, tested, and true. Um, And we also don't know what's in the future. Um, I've had a couple of instances in my life where um, things have gotten incredibly busy. And so the thought of um, returning to monitoring our finances and to see if they're growing in the way that we we would like for them to grow and then to move money over and to shift it around and it just hasn't been doable Mm. for us at different different seasons of our life and so following um what dave suggests in terms of mutual funds and investing and and putting your money in a safe place um, where it is tried tested and true um, for some people i think is a little more realistic but for others who are at a different place in their financial literacy and in their time and in their knowledge and interest with money um you know, some, some people like to gamble a little okay. more than others, and, and we're all different in that respect. Okay. For people who are not familiar with this basic plan, um, maybe the two of us could just outline a few things. He's got these things called the seven baby steps. Yes. And people could look that up. You could just go to a search engine, and you could look those up. But the first one is to save $1,000 in case you get a flat tire. That's an emergency fund. Then the second one is you want to pay off all of your debts from the littlest debt to the largest debt in that order. And basically now you're out of debt, except Mm -hmm. for your house. You're basically out of debt. Mm -hmm. And Dave, one of his principles is debt is risk. 
And if you feel like taking a risk, I suppose you can. But the thing is, is that you might be taking on a whole bunch of unnecessary risk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, debt also makes you a slave to the lender because you usually have to pay the lender back. You know, if you're going to be... <laughs> usually, yes. Yeah, if you're yes, going to be... more often than not. <laughs> if you're going to be honest, uh -huh. I mean, well, you borrowed the hundred bucks from grandma, you probably should right. give it back to her. <laughs> I would agree. It's kind of Dave's thought. Oh, wow. And then after that, it's nice to have an emergency fund of three to six months. Mm -hmm. Because what if you get fired? That's right. You know, what if you're boss leaves and you get a new boss and your new boss is, I don't know, Hitler's grandchild. <laughs> you know, you're going to maybe not want to work there anymore. So mm -hmm. it's kind of nice. And then, you know, you have more steps after that and they involve paying off the house early and putting the kids through college and saving for retirement. And then mm -hmm. your very last step is, gosh, you've done everything. So now you just save and invest and you give. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's kind of the general outline of Dave. And something else that I always think about is, and we'll kind of get to this, is he really believes that couples should work together in love and trust. Mm -hmm. Are there, is there any other big pieces to Dave that you would like to just mention for people? I think you've covered it all, but, um, you know, it all works together. It's all interconnected. And if one of those pieces is missing, um, it's some of it can come crumbling down. And, and to be able to sift through that mess um, can cause a lot of tension and a breakdown in relationships. And so the more all of those pieces can work together intentionally, um, the smoother those gears are going to run. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Just to make a food analogy, I remember reading or hearing from Rob Wolf, who's an author in the paleo world, that you can't really cheat on food. And in the same way, you can't really cheat on your budget. Like you can't say, oh, you know, we're on a budget Monday through Saturday, but <laughs> Sunday is a free day, right. <laughs> you know? So I just went out there and bought a Ferrari right. because, you know, hey, Sunday's a free day. I'm, I'm allowed to cheat on my budget on Sunday. His point was the word cheat means to take unfair advantage of. And you can't really cheat on money unless you steal it, which you shouldn't do. And in a similar way, you can't cheat on food. This sort of disturbs people when they hear this. But food is like a fact of life, like gravity. And you can't really cheat gravity either. Food has consequences. Food always strikes back. And your budget always strikes back. And that's, I don't know, what do you think about all that? I think that's true. And I think when we look at the risk that we take in, in taking on debt, it's it's like juggling balls in the air. I mean, each each person that we have to keep tabs of, I owe this person money, or I owe this bank money, or I have to pay this bill mm. on this date at this time, you're juggling all of these balls in the air. And some people, uh, you've got those great jugglers who can do a act on a stage and make some, you know, do that for a living. They're so good at it. And, and for the rest of us, the more balls that we have, um, it's, it is a lot of risk to take on and um, not in a good way. I, I can't juggle. <laughs> I just can't. I maybe do a few. <laughs> I could try to learn, I suppose. Uh, okay, so kind of on the pro Dave side, uh, is there anything in particular that we haven't discussed that you deeply appreciate about Dave? Uh, hmm. I appreciate Dave's clarity. I appreciate Dave's simplicity. Um, I think people appreciate that. And 
he is consistent and that consistency is is what helps a lot of people to win with money as he says i think so I think so. Yeah, I think his system works for you if you have like 100000 in debt or if you have $10 million in the bank. It's, his system is going to work for 99.9% of people. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also like the fact that he ultimately puts the responsibility back on you because I've just heard him say any number of times to people that he would never expect other people to substitute their judgment for his. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still your life and your responsibility. Mm-hmm. He's just an advisor. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he's the doctor who tells you to not smoke, mm-hmm. but he's not going to follow you around with a taser, <laughs> you know, to right. make sure that you don't smoke. Right. Okay. Let's apply some of Dave to your lifestyle. Uh, the four biggest expenses for most people are taxes, housing, transportation, and food. And I'm just kind of wondering if you made a few choices based on Dave or just through your own wisdom on these topics. So, for example, taxes. Have you given yourself a tax break in any way, shape, or form? We have a health savings account. Um, We also have a dependent daycare account. Um, And then we're doing something a little bit different in terms of our primary health care that I'm hoping will um, be tax deductible at some point, not yet. Um, I know that there are lots of discussions and petitions happening, but um, that's called the direct primary care movement. And it's just a different type of of, um, primary care where people have um, a more personal relationship with their doctor. So um, years and years ago, it was called... uh, concierge care okay uh, where it's uh, you have again just a more intimate relationship with your doctor but um we're not there yet so for right now we, we have a health savings account and a dependent daycare account. okay 401k Roth yes, IRA yes, yes okay both. okay mm-hmm. and all those are on tax break type thing mm-hmm. uh housing what advice do you have for people on housing <laughs> um we have an interesting story here okay so I have a I'm a bit of a type A personality. I I like the rules and the clarity. Um, And so went a little bit rogue a couple years ago and uh, we decided to sell our house in an effort to have everything paid off, including the home. Oh, cool. And um, so we we moved into a a space that at the time was, um, we hoped that it would help us to reach our, our next financial goals. Okay. Um, and it turned out to be a money pit. <laughs> oh, no. So, so it, you know, we, we had some significant um, flooding and water intrusion that came into our main living space. Mm. Um, totaled over, over $80,000. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so this is where I think the discretion and recognizing your family situation and recognizing um, your your community and um, the different costs of living in your area. Um, You know, a $150,000 home in Kansas is not the same as a $150,000 home in the center of New York City. Right. And so we That'd be like a cardboard box under a bridge (laughs) in New York City. So we have to, you know, Dave is great in his clarity and consistency. But as human beings, we also have to, to take ownership of our choices. 
and our, our lives and to recognize that not everyone's situation is exactly the same. And we have to recognize that there are so many small subtleties that feed into who we are as human beings and our beliefs and our decisions. Um, and we have to take those into account. So we um, were trying really hard to stay the course with Dave's system, but we, we kind of, after that experience in that home, we decided to to veer the course just a little bit. Um, what did, what did you do? Home. Did you sell the house? Did you? We did. We so we repaired that home. Okay. Um, better than than when we had moved into it, um, and felt felt really good about. Okay. Hoping that that it would be a blessing for for the next owners, but we needed a kind of fresh start, and so okay. we moved into a home. Um, that put us back into what baby step I think four where oh. we still have a mortgage. Okay, oh, okay, <laughs> and, okay. And that's going to be okay for us and our family. But Dave, like I've, I've really thought about this, and I, I won't go into too much detail on sure. this. But Dave is very, very, very anti debt, except mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for a home. Yeah. And after listening to Dave for about two years, I wondered why that was. Mm-hmm. And eventually, I, I came to the conclusion, and maybe you could correct me if I'm wrong on this, because I honestly don't know. I think it's because a house loan is a secure loan versus an unsecure or insecure. Mm-hmm. Like if I have a credit card and I get beer and pizza, well, that's insecure because I don't have any collateral. I can't get out of the situation. But anytime you borrow for a house, uh, then you basically can give the house back and then you can get out of the whole situation. So you might have been free and clear, mm-hmm. but then you have the $80,000 for the damage. So then you get, get out there and you get a different house. You're actually, technically speaking, correct me if I'm wrong, you're still within the Dave we are. way of thinking. Mm-hmm. We are. So, I, But my rule follower part of okay. me wanted to go rogue and, and to skip over that step and move into, propel ourselves into step seven, if you will. And, and that's, all, you know, we're going to take a little bit longer to get there and that's gotcha. okay. Because life happens in between point A and point B. Yeah. You want to be present yeah. That. Yeah. So really, you kind of like changed Dave's rules, but then you kind of changed yes. back to Dave's <laughs> rules. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, I would say that. All right. Okay. Um, transportation. Mm-hmm. Any advice? I think it's the similar lesson that um, Dave talks about. Um, you don't want to buy a lemon. <laughs> right. Right. Don't buy any lemons. And he's also pretty hardcore on no car loans. Uh-huh. Def- yeah. No car loans. You know, I've spoken with uh, financial advisors and um, investors who, who disagree a little bit with right. that. And I can understand the principles. But again, we have to recognize our own financial literacy and knowledge with money. Um, and, and the time that we have to monitor our money and to, and to babysit it because paying those bills takes time. And Paying attention to, to due dates and when when you have to have the bill paid, right. that's really important. Right. And, and all of that can come crashing down if, if you don't have the time um, or the organization to tend to those things. So do you do you prefer no car loan I of do. any kind? Yeah. Okay. So Keep you are clean. you are sticking with Dave that's on this. That's right. Keep okay. it clean. <laughs> Keep it simple. Keep as few balls in the air as possible. Okay. Okay. Um, I just didn't know if you were doing anything wild like uh, I, I know one person doing the fire movement mm-hmm. who sold his car. Mm-hmm. I interviewed him earlier. Uh, sold his car and biked to work for roughly two years. Yeah. You know? And I think... And got into ridiculously <laughs> good shape and then yeah. did a 140-mile Ironman. Yeah. You know, and 
this goes right back to knowing who we are and where we're at in life. That would, with my personality type, I don't mind to go rogue uh -huh. um, with the best of intentions and, and thinking through things. And um, that may have been me had I been um, informed and, and knowledgeable about fire when I was 20 or 22 right. years old. Yeah. Um, but now at 30 something years old with, with two kids and um, just a very different lifestyle now. Not I, doing any yeah, fire. No, nope. not this year. <laughs> not biking that far. Not, yeah. maybe, maybe next year. Not this year. <laughs> got it. Right. Got it. Okay. But yeah. Okay. So no car loans. Food. What advice do you have on food? Food is a tough area of the budget to control, but it is one of the one of the areas we can take control over. Um, I, I'm not going to change my mortgage every month. That's kind of set. Right. Um, need to have a use up so much electricity. That bill will be there. Um, but food is something that we can change and and really fine tune and. and um, button up. So there are a lot of resources out there that we can use different stores, the different stores you shop at. Um, food is, is an area of the budget that we narrow in on. Um, okay. We try really hard to... Restaurants then. Thoughts on restaurants. Mm -hmm. We will, yeah, we eat out, but when we do, it's it's planned. Um, mm -hmm. We actually have a line item in, in our budget for restaurants. <laughs> right. And other than the house, you don't have any debt. Mm -hmm. Dave hates debt so much. His whole thing is, well, if you're in debt, don't go in any restaurants. Right. Eat out of grocery stores. Right. So, but you know, you're out of debt. So, hey, you can ease up. Yeah. You can enjoy a restaurant. That's yeah. kind of the whole Dave yeah. thing. Okay. Uh, any other expenses that we should discuss? For example, entertainment. And the reason I mentioned that one last is I think for most people, roughly about three-fourths of their budget is going to be taxes, transportation, uh, housing, and food. Mm -hmm. And so we, we talked about all four of those. And then I think a lot of people put the squeeze on the entertainment. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the part that makes life fun, mm -hmm. you know? So that's why we talked about the first three-fourths first. Mm -hmm. So, but... What are your thoughts on entertainment? The entertainment piece is an interesting one because I think we are formed by our earlier life experiences. And so if you grow up in a household where going to the movies and going to the movies now is expensive. But if you grow up in a household, going to the movies every weekend is part of the family ritual and bonding experience and routine. It's going to be really hard to, to pull that out of um, your lifestyle, especially in those first few baby steps where you're trying to get rid of debt. But uh, there are so many opportunities for entertainment out there that, that we... Um, overlook as a society. I am a huge fan of the library and the library is constantly adjusting to uh, how society is changing and so uh, gosh you know they have they have a plethora of DVDs available and workshops and oh my goodness I just feel like I, I can't even keep up with all of the resources that are available. All there. the things they do. Mm -hmm. So many and free. And free. Uh, so I, I am very selective with when I purchase anything that I could be borrowing for mm. free from, from a library. That's so, awesome. Mm -hmm. I just think that's great. Yeah, like why buy it if other people are lending it out for free? <laughs> right. You know, it's why? just nuts. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, kids, let's shift over and talk a little bit about kids. So you have kids. Tell me just a little bit about your two kids. 
Oh my goodness, I love them with my whole being. A um, little bit about them, I have a five-year-old and she is um, a social butterfly. Loves, she is an extrovert, a lot of energy and she is fierce. She is resilient. Um, she has some, some medical challenges that she was, was born um, into and, and has taken all of that on with such grace and strength that in so many ways she's been an example for my, myself and uh, my husband and my family and, and some friends too. She's um, a real inspiration, doesn't let things hold her back. Um, so she is kind of the trailblazer and then behind her we have a little two and a half, almost three year old and um, she just has a heart of gold. She is as sweet as can be. The, the two girls are completely opposite in their personalities, um, but they are so similar in, in um, their, their kindness and how sweet they are. Um, so it's just a joy to, to watch them together. That's pretty awesome. Um, how do you balance Dave's live within your means mentality with the unique needs that you have? We adjust our budget. Um, we, you know, it's an interesting experience to go back and to look at the impact Dave Ramsey's teachings have had on our lives because um, we, we dove right in after reading The Total Money Makeover at 24 years old and uh, took us about three and a half years to pay off um, over $90,000 in debt. That's pretty good. It was intense. We, we did a great job and just when we felt like uh, we were busting out of those chains and we were, we were free and um, ready to just frolic with, with no debt, um, we ended up taking all of the money we were using to uh, pay into our debt snowball and that became um, our, our medical bills. Um, so when my first, my older daughter was born, we didn't anticipate that we would have these medical needs. Um, and what ended up happening is that um, we, we had a move and a job change in the middle of her first year. So we had a couple of different medical deductibles to meet. And in that first year, um, we ended up paying over $15,000 cash flowing in, in medical expenses. Um, had we not learned about Dave Ramsey's teachings, that would have had a significant impact on our ability to focus our time and attention on her needs. That would have had a significant impact, um, $15,000 in cash flowing that in one year for medical needs. Um, is a lot. A couple years later, it was over $20,000. Mm. Um, and being able to weather those storms with my husband, um, it's, it's certainly remained a stressor in our life, um, but it's something that we're able to take on um, a little differently now that um, we have a financial foundation to stand on. Well, thank God. I mean, mm -hmm. just wow. I just can't even imagine the level of stress. Like, let's say you would have taken that original $90,000 worth of debt, done nothing mm -hmm. with it, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. maybe just paid down I don't know, a thousand bucks or something. And in other words, it's just still sitting there. And then you would just get sandbagged mm -hmm. with 
medical trouble, the, the heartache associated with the fact that this is your daughter, mm -hmm. and then plus just this debt, mm -hmm. additional debt on top of things. Mm -hmm. That, then it just makes you reconsider, gosh, am I in the right job? You know, is my husband in the right job? You know, just, mm -hmm. there's just so many fractures that can occur. Oh, and juggling, juggling the bills. I mean, that's an opportunity for um, trust building and it's also an opportunity for contention. Um, when you have uh, medical bills coming in every week, there has to be the trust that so-and-so is going to pay the bill. And if it doesn't get paid on time, they're potentially could be late charges depending on what the bill is electric or otherwise um, and so all of those bills present opportunities for conflict within households also opportunities um, to contrast that opportunities to build trust opportunities for growth right and, and as a married couple we want to minimize um, all of those opportunities for conflict and really have that tamed and under control so that we can build in, in our relationship with each other do you, do you feel like, I guess, maybe I know the answer to this, but maybe you could tell me, how do you feel like it made you and your husband stronger? Because usually when people go through difficult things, mm -hmm. uh, it either usually breaks them to pieces or it makes them stronger. Mm -hmm. It seems like the two of you must have gotten stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't help but wonder how different things would be had we not had that foundation. Um, but because we have practiced so much communication, mm. which stemmed from reading the Total Money Makeover, there were so many conversations. I, you know, literally the first two pages into the Total Money Makeover, I shouted to my, I can picture it like it was yesterday, I shouted to my husband, my new husband, two months into our marriage, I said, oh my gosh, I said, listen to this. It just makes sense, right? And he said, yeah. And, you know, we started reading the book together and, and, just even reading the book together brought so much conversation into our marriage and aligning our values and um, how we spend our time. And um, from there, we've, we've been able to continue practicing our communication and that has um, given us the strength that we need to work through some, some really difficult situations. And I might take my daughter to an appointment that he's not able to attend and vice versa. And there there could be again dropping the ball in communication and just going about our day and coming home from the rush and the busyness of work and, and not discussing that but we have such a strong foundation in communication because we have practiced it through all of these opportunities through reading the total money makeover and spending those three and a half years together grinding it out to pay off our debts and and then the medical piece to it that, that the communication has, has helped us. You two sound like you're extremely in sync. And that's just really, yeah. really cool. And I just want to give a lot of props to you for that. And you just kind of keep emphasizing uh, communication, which I think is, is essential. But just also the fact that it's just really helped you sync up. Mm -hmm. You've definitely grown closer. Absolutely. Through adversity. Absolutely. So uh, let's talk just a little bit about your background. And then maybe you can give people some advice regarding marriage and kids and things like that. Dave always likes to focus on family. And, and I just think it's fascinating to go back and ask people what type of a kid they were. <laughs> what type of a kid were you? <laughs> That's a tough question. Um, I have always been a type A personality. Um, but I also am a huge believer in discretion. And so there are times that, that you 
um, beer the course. Um, but I've always been a rule follower and, and a dreamer. That has been a big part of who I am. I can think back to early, early memories. And my poor mom, she, um, you know, she tells this story about um, how I, in, in the fourth grade, was asking about how we're going to pay for college. And so me always thinking about what is going to be 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years you from now. You do think that far ahead? Oh, I do. And I enjoy okay. it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. on my mind. It just, it was wired that way. I'm impressed. I, <laughs> I think about the future only in the most vague possible terms. I wish I did a better job with Isn't that. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Though? That's just yeah. that our brains are as early as I can remember, even, you know, playing with blocks, um, in, in second grade, I, my favorite activity when we would have indoor recess was just these basic wooden blocks, taking them and I would build these like dream homes and, um, it was all futuristic. You're making dream homes with blocks (laughs) in second grade. I was, yeah. Just futuristic though, dreaming. I like dreaming about the future. Okay. All right. Um, how did college change you? My, I just believe in general that college changes every person. Mm-hmm. How did college change you? Or maybe it didn't. Yeah. I think the um, influences from the people I was exposed to had a strong impact on me um, and helped me to uh, hone in on my, my strengths and, and figure out who I am as a person. Um, I think the independence stretched me. Um, I started out in one city and that was 45 minutes away from home base and then I moved two and a half hours away to finish my degree um, in, a, in a different city and really I remember um, getting ready to I think go off to work one day and I had a flat tire and here I was 21 years old having to figure it out for myself. Um, How did you figure it out? <laughs> we called I don't know AAA something you know one of those. Um, and then they came and fixed it? I don't yeah. Um, did you call home first gosh. and just be like, "Hey, I, I've got a, I've got a flat." I may have, and maybe they didn't answer because I don't remember them being part of the solution. Um, my mom has always been very good at that, and and that's a hard thing to say. I can say it now as an adult, but as a kid, there was a lot of frustration. But she was always very good at, at um, and I think just out of necessity, she was um, a mom to, to six kids and. Um, so she would very, toss toss the ball back at you. Absolutely. We just there was a lot of figure it out yourself. Okay. <laughs> Even when we were, you know, really, really early, we, we would ask what a word meant and she'd say, I've got a dictionary over there, go look it up. And so even just the simple things like that, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Um, what made you choose the profession that you're in? I had not considered going into um, teaching as a profession until about my first or second year of college. And during that time, I think the common um, introductory question is, hey, what's your major? Nice to meet you. What's your major? And I would say, oh, it's this or, or whatever it was at the time. And they'd say, really? I would have picked you for a teacher. I would have thought you're a teacher. Um, and I, I was getting that consistently, and then I started to wonder why, and I think at one point I asked someone why, and um, there's a 20-year age difference between me and my youngest sister, and then I, I have another sister who's 10 years younger than I, and there was a day at college where 
um, we it was a sibling day, so you get to bring your younger siblings up, and I'm sure the colleges do it because they want to, you know, usher in those younger ones too, start right. to play at the scene early. Sibling day, yeah. <laughs> what a good marketing well, that's idea! Right. <laughs> and so I, you know, we my family brought them up, and I was so excited to have my two of my younger siblings um, with me for the day, and I think maybe that's what my friends were referencing as they saw that, but. As I thought back, um, I taught swimming lessons when I was in mm, high school, okay. and I, that that did not feel like work to me. I enjoyed it; I truly did. And um, so, as I started to to pick up on these consistencies, and and I would ask at some point, you know, why why did you think that I was a an education major? Um, and I would get that feedback and process it, and, and I decided, man, what better job to go into than one where you don't even feel like you're working? <laughs> right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, and then you got married. Mm-hmm. Say just a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah. Um, gosh, so Derek and I dated for about three and a half years, I think, um, and we had a seven-month engagement. Um we dated long distance. Uh, we were two and a half hours apart from each other, and that was an interesting piece, I think, that um, created a strong foundation going into our marriage because it was based so much on, again, that communication thing. Right. Uh, this is good reflection for me. I mean, the communication started even before we were married because it was um, phone conversations, and we would see each other every every weekend, trade off driving to visit each other, but... Um, yeah, when we got married, it, um, I started a new job. He had started a new job. Um, we met kind of in the middle from where our two cities used to be. And um, I think the first dream uh, as a married couple was to, after we addressed the debt piece, which was not our intention, we stumbled into that with the total money makeover and the gift that, that our aunt um, gave us for our wedding. But the first dream really was um, to buy a house together. And the timing was, was could not have been better for having opened the total money makeover because we would have purchased probably beyond our means. We would have certainly mm-hmm. purchased a very different house than the first house that we did purchase. So the timing for us was, was really good. But um, it was a good start to our marriage. I mean, it was just the two of us, a lot of time to get to know each other. We would work out in the evenings, make dinner, and... Life was a lot simpler than it is now, but, yeah. but both are good. Kids add all kinds of complexity, yes. but we wouldn't trade them for anything. That's right. Something I heard from an older person that I really respect is, is that however many kids you have, have more. Because yeah. he said, you know, because I think he's 59 or 60, something like that. And he said, however many you have, you're going to wish you had more when you were mm, my age. Yeah which I think is so, if I have 11, I'm going to wish that I had more. And he's like, yeah, you're going to wish that. Yeah, because they all turn out so well, you know, that you're going to wish that you, I don't know. I just thought that's pretty fascinating, (laughs) pretty fascinating advice. But, you know, people are wonderful. So therefore, Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so this question is a little bit about how you were raised and I guess the monetary attitude, Mm -hmm. because I read long ago, and this really made a lot of sense to me that just whatever our philosophy of money is or, or psychology of money just has a monumental impact. And oftentimes we inherit it from our folks without even knowing that we're inheriting it. Mm-hmm. You know, for example, let's say that I think rich people are evil. So rich people are bad. Well, 
And if I've been thinking this way since I was three years old, mm -hmm. then when I'm older, why would I possibly want to have any money? Right. You know, because if money is evil and evil is money, and now I'm 24, I, I maybe I just want to be as far away from evil as I possibly can be. I don't want to be contradictory. I don't want to have it both ways. Mm -hmm. I don't want to say, oh, I can't help it. I just do this evil, yeah. you know? So I guess I'm kind of trying to ask about your... Your, your your initial thoughts because yeah. my gut feeling is let's go the opposite way if you take a guy like elon musk mm -hmm. i looked him up mm -hmm. and his net worth right now is about 59 billion dollars mm -hmm. i really doubt when he was 10 years old he was thinking yeah those rich people <laughs> those people are evil mm -hmm. you know he's uh, described himself as trying to do things that people would find useful mm -hmm. electric car you know solar powered house uh space travel he's trying to do things that he thinks people would like and appreciate so i think a couple of things i think first there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance that's happening with that thought process so as as human beings we like to rationalize our behavior and sometimes we tell ourselves things that we may not actually believe but mm. we say them to ourselves to make us feel better okay um i i think though for me um it was very eye-opening when Dave referenced the Bible and that I had grown up and I had heard probably what many of us have heard, which is, quote, unquote, um, the, the root, love of money. Well, yeah. The, yeah, the love of money. Well, how does he say the this? love of money is the root of all but evil. But what's the misconception? People keep money is the root of all there. evil. Thank you. It's yes. what people hear. Say it again. Money is the root of all that's evil. That's what people hear, and that's what I have heard. Interesting. When the correct quotation is the love of money is the root of all evil, and and there might be some truth to that. Um, but I also think we we don't know what people's intentions are, and we don't know what people are doing with their money after they've passed. Um, and so they could have um, these really generous intentions with their money mm -hmm. and to look at someone and assume that I know every thought in their head and I know what they're doing with their dollars. It's not right um, because they could be saving that money to give it to a charity. Right. Um, sure. Absolutely. Well, also, too, I just think, well, if somebody has $10 million because they're running a cattle empire, they're providing people with a lot of steak. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that <laughs> like an steak. awful lot. Yeah. And just, I guess over time, if you look at some of the great capitalists like Henry Ford, well, the price of the car went down by two thirds mm -hmm. uh, between, I think, like 1920 and the later 1920s. Uh, he raised his workers' pay to the $5 day. His closest competitor was paying $2.25 per day. Mm -hmm. So Ford is paying over double. Uh, he didn't believe in having people work more than 40 hours a week because he didn't want them breaking things and making mistakes because they were tired. That's right. Uh, the plants were known to be safe and clean with lots of sunlight streaming in. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's examples to the contrary, but I just if you look at, I don't know, Rockefeller, you kind of see the same thing. Historically, he paid the workers more than average. Whenever he bought somebody else's company, he tended to overpay for it. He paid $6 million for a $5 million company. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these, these guys have a lot of advantages that... I don't know. I just don't think they get discussed. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they're creating thousands upon thousands of jobs. And, you know, with Rockefeller, hey, finally, we have 
kerosene lamps at night. We can see at night. Right. Sort of beats the candle. Right. You know, so it's a plus. It, absolutely. And it's all perspective. And I think there will always be more. There will always be the, the um, upper quartile. And uh, we can reduce what the top of the range is, but there will still always be more. There will always be an upper quartile. And we can, again, continue to chop and chop and chop. But if we're always comparing, I'm... Um, in the 50th percentile and well he or she is in the 80th percentile they're rich compared to me they're rich compared to me and so it's not right they're evil and and as we continue to chop it down we might be taking away those opportunities for jobs we may be taking away the great inventions that are around the corner and oh for sure um, Thomas Edison I think had 2,000 inventions something like that and he expected to get paid you know, and then if you look at societies where inventors don't get paid, you mm -hmm. don't see inventors. Mm -hmm. They don't have inventors. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a thing. I mean, well, because you're so busy trying to get enough to eat, when you have time to invent something. Mm -hmm. So just a thought. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah, point to ponder. Yeah. Okay. Uh, investing. Um, the three most common ways to invest are real estate in your own business in the stock market. Mm -hmm. And um, let's talk just a little bit about that. Do you invest in any particular way, shape, or form? We follow Dave's recommendations, which are um, growth stock mutual funds. Um, and he does split those into four different categories. Um, so we, we follow that and we also work with um, an expert knowing what our limitations are and the time that we have. When we were 24 years old, 25 and 26 years old, we did have a lot more time to read about um, the stock market and where our money could at the time, hypothetically, where it could go and where we're at now. We really have to lean on uh, what, who, who we've identified as an expert because we know what our limitations are right now and we know that we're very busy between our jobs and raising our children that um, we, we work very closely with um, our personal investor. Are you, are you happy with your investor? Yes, okay. we are. And, and part of that conversation was just sharing our background and belief in what Dave Ramsey um, teaches okay. um, and, and to dialogue about that, to hear where the personal investor who um, does this day in and day out, they, they do veer a little bit um, and differ in opinion, and that's okay um, if there's reason behind it and, and if there's time to address those differences, I think. Okay, pretty cool. Would you describe yourself as a, I don't know, a person who trades a lot with investing or more of like buy and hold? Buy and hold, we're pretty steady, so we've got things pretty set up right now, and um, we'll check in every now and then. We get you know our updates in the mail, um, and we'll follow those. But otherwise, um, we're just pretty comfortable with where we're at. Set it and mm -hmm. forget it. I like that. Yes, that's right. Do you have any thoughts about when to sell an investment? Because some people are pretty extreme on this. There's day traders. They trade every day. Mm -hmm. I personally think that's insane. I couldn't keep track of that. Right. Uh, on the flip side, there's Warren Buffett who says buy and hold forever. And they asked him, when should you sell a stock or a mutual fund? And he said, never. And people are like, well, what if you die? And he's like, just don't sell anything. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are waiting. Um, until maybe we have time to reassess, but that's not any time in the near future. Um, 
again, what, what Dave has taught us has been tried and true. And so we really got, um, got our system set up and our investments set up and, and we'll kind of look at things as we near and get closer to retirement. Okay. Okay. Um, let me get some thoughts from you on marriage and relationships because that's a big piece with money. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess the old cliche is it's easier to have two horses pulling in the same direction than two horses pulling in opposite directions. Um, I, I think we can certainly tell from observing married couples that that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts? If a couple wanted to get married, what would be your personal finance advice to this couple? They come to you, they respect you, they say, what is your advice? What would you say? I would advise what has worked for us, and that's all that I can speak to. I, I know that for us, reading the book together was uh, the door to communication. It inspired so much um, debate at times, but also the humility of acknowledging what I know and what I don't know and and turning to my husband and saying, do you know what this means? I've never heard of this before and working through that together. Um, So learning alongside each other at the inspiration of of a book. So I think um, if, if you do not consider yourself or if a newly married couple if neither considers themselves to be a financial expert, then picking someone who is and, and who can back that up with right. not just their words, but right. um, who has that that experience behind them. Um, just starting with a book, any book. My personal favorite, favorite would be The Total Money Makeover, but I think anyone is a good start. It's fun to read and discuss a book with another person, and it does really make it come alive. That is for sure. Um, okay, what if one of the two in a couple just doesn't want to have all that much to do with money. Uh, They just, I don't know, they throw up their hands, they're not interested, they're bored, something. They just don't want to, they just want to delegate it to their spouse. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts? So one of the great things about Dave Ramsey is that he recognizes the human element and uh, speaks to the human spirit. And um, that's the the design behind the debt snowball is the emotion um, uh, in responding to reward. When you've paid off the debt, yay, I've done it. And, And that inspires you to move forward. In that same line of thinking, you have what he calls the nerds. And Tim, help me free out here. Spirits. Free spirits. That's, That's the right. key thing he does with couples. He, he splits <laughs> people into two types. Nerds, I guess accountants, spreadsheet keepers, budget makers, and then there's free spirits. Mm-hmm. who are like, yay, party. <laughs> so what I have found is my husband and I move between those different spaces. And so sometimes I am very rigid in in playing the nerd. Okay. And then there are times that he takes on that. In fact, this month, that is him. He, I'm just, I'm really busy between some courses I'm taking and and getting ready to move back into the work scene and, and then the kids. And so he has jumped into to nerd mode mm. um, and I followed back. And so it's great that as a team, I can trust that he's identified this gap and he's stepped into that space. I think that when as a newly married couple or even a couple who has been together for a long time and they're just now starting out on coming together in their finances, um, it's okay to be the free spirit and to lean on your spouse, but somebody does need to step forward. And then the free spirit has to give them that lead um, because if if they are not following the lead and if they're not willing to step up and take the lead 
then you have a problem. Okay, so if we're going to have somebody who just doesn't want to have a thing to do with it, then that person had better be prepared to be a good follower mm -hmm. is kind of what I'm hearing. Absolutely. And uh, I, I just love how the two of you will exchange roles depending upon what life is throwing at you. Right. And That's it wasn't great. always that way. I don't, I don't think it was always that way. Um, but as we have become comfortable and shared our knowledge with each other and, and maybe equaled out in our understanding. I will say he probably still knows more in terms of financial literacy than I do. But, um, but we, are, we have established that trust and that history to uh, move between those roles. You know, just me observing other couples, I know one couple, uh, their names are Todd and Rose. And uh, there's probably lots of couples named Todd and Rose, so I don't think I'm giving them away, but they're both excellent with money. And what I've really noticed is, is that they're both excellent in different dimensions. Mm -hmm. uh, so like one of them might be good with just saving on household items. Mm -hmm. And then the next one is good with investing. And they're both good with budgeting and they're both interested in it. So they learn from each other all the time. Mm -hmm. But I suppose if you were to split money into, I don't know, seven letter grades, you know, uh, they're making a bunch of A's and maybe occasionally somebody's making a C, mm -hmm. but it's okay because the other spouse has got that particular thing covered. Mm -hmm. And it was just fascinating to me that you could have two people who both know a lot, but they're also very aware, well, hey, she knows more than I do about this, uh -huh. or I know more than she does about that. That's right. I, I just thought find, that was cool. Well, you're, I think you're on to something here because I can find, oh my goodness, I can find a blogger with the best and cheapest grocery list around and I will drive that. That will I will take the lead on that and then my husband will take the lead in another area. So right. Learning, People you know, can play to their strengths. That's right. You took the words out great. of my mouth. Which is just great. <laughs> okay. So I maybe we've already kind of implied an answer here, but... If one particular couple, if one spouse just seemed controlling and authoritarian mm -hmm. about the whole thing, mm -hmm. um, male or female, what are your thoughts on that? The controlling authoritarian spouse. Yeah, those are two really powerful words um, in any relationship. And when you talk about control in a relationship um, or an authoritarian style, um, then there are some complexities that go beyond money and go beyond the team dynamic that need to be addressed um, and, and perhaps with professional help. Okay. Um, because control, um, especially in a marriage, can, can be a really dangerous thing. Um, and when it comes to money, money is very personal um, and there are emotions that are involved and, and some tough conversations and, and issues that have to be addressed when it comes to money. And so if you have one person who is taking control, um, it's, it can lead into some dangerous waters. Man, you just said that in such a beautiful way. And have you ever thought about being like a counselor <laughs> or something? Because I was thinking, gosh, that sounds like hell on earth. Like if you're married to Stalin and Stalin's giving oh. orders all the time, like who wants to be married to Stalin, you know, or <laughs> try to think of other horrible dictators that would just be awful to be married to. So you were so sweet about how you described you know, the person who should probably have a little counseling so that they can work on this control issue. Yeah, so. you got to gotta start with recognizing the problem and then, then get the help, right? Yeah. Okay, so what do you think about people who, when they get married, the two spouses just keep their money 100% separate? Mm -hmm. 
He's got his accounts. She's got her accounts. He has no idea what her net worth is. She has no idea what his net worth is. Hey, it's all separate. What are your thoughts on that? That's a very interesting question, Tim, because it's not a common conversation that comes up between um, friends. But I will say the one time it has come up with a friend um, was was in a really sad situation where I had a girlfriend who was um, getting divorced about Mm. a year, uh, a year and a few months after she had gotten married. And I say that because that is the only, probably the only conversation that I've you know, that's not true, actually. I, I have had other conversations with, with friends and uh, more specifically with family about um, how spouses manage that piece. But that situation with the friend who ended up um, getting a divorce is perhaps the only one where that I, I know of in conversation where they were keeping their finances separate. Um, there are just so many opportunities as a couple to discuss priorities in financial um, matters and in, in managing money and um, finances and money is a top reported point of contention in yes. marriages yes it is. leading that people share leading to divorce um, so those those opportunities to have discussions and um, even to enter into the conflict sometimes which isn't fun but um, conflict is part of being a human being and right. it's, it's how we manage that and how we manage those differences of opinions that can can bring a couple together um, yeah people or, can handle conflict in a healthy way absolutely uh-huh um, but it you know I, I do believe that couples should have their finances together Um Again, because it, it can lead to conversation and aligning priorities and values um, and goals. I mean, that's that's probably my favorite part when uh, my husband and I do talk about our financial future and we are not moving in any direction of, of you know, living a, a wealthy lifestyle or a lavish, I think is a probably more correct term, uh, lavish lifestyle, but, but um, being able to dream about the future and... and maybe someday taking a vacation we're not there yet but things like that um and to be able to do so with the comfort of both of us understanding that it was something that we worked for we saved for we planned for um there's there's just a lot of opportunity and bonding yeah it built so much unity Mm -hmm. that's just beautifully said yeah thank you i will also say we have um we we both have separate accounts um for our personal spending and you know, in conversations with um, friends and family, those who have a similar type of setup, you know, there are different ways of doing it. There's the cash way, um, and then my husband and I actually physically have different accounts. Um, for us, that has been a good thing, specifically in um, birthday gifts for each other. Yeah, there you go. If he's able to see in our joint account that um, you know I've I've purchased whatever from a specific store that I don't know a Western store he likes to shop at. I'm completely making that up. He doesn't shop. You at got a Western two store. items from Dollar General right, for him. Right. <laughs> oh, my birthday is coming up, and she spent two bucks. He knows. <laughs> but um, having a little bit for yourself, I think, is okay. Um, and, and controlling that and, and um, balancing that with each other. Um, I think a lot of people do that. I think yeah. a lot of people who have, I don't know, 85% of everything in common have the other 15% where, hey, this is her mad money, this sure. is his mad money, yeah. 
or just however things get delegated. Yeah, no question so, money. Yeah, you know, if I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. On, yeah. Yeah, I think that yeah. that's okay, and it allows it honors the autonomy of the individual. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So okay. Um, last question regarding marriage is, what do you think about prenuptial agreements? Mm. <laughs> That's such a tough question, and I'm going to live in the gray space there. Okay. That's a tough question because, okay. um, you know, I don't think anybody enters into marriage that, that I can imagine, that I know, enters into marriage thinking that they're going to come out divorced. Right. If all goes well, then we'll have an acrimonious divorce right. about three years from now. Right. Um, so it's just, that's a space that... Um, I've contemplated, you know, what what would lead someone to seeking a, a prenuptial, and um, from a faith perspective, I, I have to say that I lean on the side of it's not it's not a good way to go because it's an out. Um, but you know, it's that's a tough question. It is a tough question. Mm-hmm. It's a very tough question. Okay, well, let's move on with kids. Um, people want to raise good kids. Mm-hmm. So, in your mind, what's a good kid? <laughs> I have two, and I work with um, kids, older kids, but um, still technically. And I think that they are all good. I do. I think that they are all good and have good in them. And um, they, can, they can be broken if we are not identifying what their gifts are, if we're not speaking to their gifts. We are all made so different, so uniquely different. Um, and yet, to not identify the gifts of each individual, I think, is a tragedy um, because we each have things to offer. And, and I think it's our job as parents. I think it's the job of teachers and, and all adult mentors um, and leaders in, in the lives of our young people to try to figure out what their gifts are, what their strengths are, um, and try to try to feed those. And, and to, help, to help them figure out what their gifts are. I mean, they might figure them out on their own, mm-hmm. but if we could help them, then that's a good thing, basically. Absolutely. And getting back to your original premise, basically all kids are good. Yeah. We just have to discover how they're good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, how do you raise a good kid then? How do you raise a good kid? Oh goodness. Raising kids is I think the greatest challenge I've embarked on upon. Um, but raising one, I think going back to love and, and that is an oversimplification of the answer, but it's so true. Um, in those moments where there's conflict with, with the child that you're raising, um, stepping back from the conflict and viewing them through the eyes that, that you have always viewed them, which is with love and um, looking for those strengths and gifts will speak to the next steps, will speak to how to raise a good kid. It will guide um, the conversation and, you know, the child may have made a mistake and they do. That's to be expected. There are no surprises there. Um, developmentally, it's appropriate for them to make mistakes, but it's when we um, are not viewing them through the eyes of, of love um, and in the intention of teaching that we can we can get away from raising good kids and, and the emotions can take over. So we have to remember that we love them and then the next step will suggest itself. 
That's kind of what I'm hearing you say. I believe so, yeah. I think the heart will speak to what the next steps are. And... Okay. <laughs> so it might be in a given situation, let's see. Okay, so I remind myself that I love this kid, so therefore I need to be more merciful. Or it might be, uh, I need to put my foot down mm -hmm. on this particular topic. Mm -hmm. Could go either way. It could go either way, and I, I, it comes from a place of pause. Um, so in those moments where a child may have, have made a bad choice or made a mistake, um, it's natural as humans for our emotions um, to get involved. And um, you know, recognizing that emotion of love um, in, in the mix of what other emotions right, right, may right, arise right. Um, gives you a point to pause. It gives you a reason to step back and say, I, I love this child so much and I'm so upset right now. At, at what they have done or whatever mistake they've made um, and, and searching for what is the next best step. It comes from the pause and it comes from a place of love. Okay. But we can't find that pause when we're operating from other emotions. Right, right. I agree. And emotions are always mixed mm -hmm. in most people. I mean, very seldom do you have pure and simple emotions. Mm -hmm. You always have some sort of a lurid intermixture of emotions. Mm -hmm. So I guess the question for us is, do we want to be the best version of ourselves? Do I want to choose the best options that are available or do I want to just fly off the handle? Right. <laughs> I, I've heard people who flew off the handle at somebody say, yeah, but I was mad. Mm -hmm. And I always think, so what? Yeah. You know, you could have done something that was much kinder or much better or in some cases more firm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, okay. All that being said, um, how do you keep kids from becoming lazy and entitled? I think modeling a work ethic um, for them is a good start. Children learn through imitation. That, that's how they rise to their feet and start to take their first steps. They see it, they watch, and then they imitate. Um, you know, ideally, in a best case scenario, we can speak with them about establishing a work ethic and you work and, and these are the rewards that you get from your work, having those conversations early. But in some situations, uh, people embark on this journey at different points and you may have high schoolers in, in the home and it's not too late at that point. It might be a little more difficult to make the transition because it's a shift um, and a paradigm shift, uh, really a change in people's thinking, but it can be done. And just recognizing that, um, you know, kids, I think that they need to be seen and I think that they need to be heard and, and those conversations can happen. Um, talking with them about work ethics, talking with them about money um, and, and how those two are related and um, is it wrong that there's a relationship between work and money or is it right and, and talking about um, how you can get money by working <laughs> and what happens when you don't. Um, those conversations let, let children know that they're seen um, and, and it gives them an opportunity to ask questions. You know, I heard one parent, uh, he has nine children, uh, he and his wife, and uh, he said starting at roughly about the age of one, uh, maybe younger, everybody has responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And so I said, what responsibility does a one-year-old have? And he said, well, naturally, we treat these kids as gently as possible, and we just try to lavish as much love on them. But there might be a situation where they need to manage their emotions better. 
And so they always have a responsibility. And, you know, by the time they're three, they can carry their cup and their plate to the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. So even at a very early age, I mean, he felt like, oh, they've got some responsibilities here. Absolutely. That, that is absolutely true. I think you can teach those responsibilities at a early, early age from um, bring me a diaper, I'm going to change you. You can, you know where the diapers are and you can walk from point A to point B, bring that over here. You're going to participate and be part of this team so we can take care of you. Um, those things can start really early on. I, I also think though, um, from from an educational perspective that all of, all of um, you know, our brains are made differently and um, there, there can be events that cause those differences, and then there can be um, just natural wirings. Um, and so we have to be in tune with the expectations of, of our children and what right. can be expected. Age appropriate, person appropriate, yeah, appropriate, just all of those type of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, like what is this person capable of doing? Right. One of the best pieces of advice I ever heard on giving people responsibilities was, it was basically an analogy. Somebody said, well, if your five-year-old rolls the, rolls the tennis ball under the couch, do you get it for her? And the proper response was, well, how long is her arm? You know, if her arm is too short, well, yeah, maybe you probably go get it for her. And if her arm is the right length, then you let her struggle. Mm -hmm. And if she's strong enough, maybe you make her move the couch, you know? <laughs> right. So you don't want to spoil people rot and then do every last little thing for them. but we're not going to be putting five-year-olds in the Marine Corps. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's I, I guess the philosophy that I believe in is just that balance between responsibility versus like, okay, I'll do it for you. You're still a kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, how do you teach your kids resilience? My older daughter with her medical challenges was born a resilient spirit. Um, and she gets a lot of practice. <laughs> um, but we use the language in our household, how can you be a problem solver? And so opportunities like that, if, if there is a tennis ball under the couch, and let's say that the arm isn't long enough to reach it, my question for my five-year-old, if she's able to understand the language, um, you know, or my two, my two-and-a-half-year-old would understand if I get, how can you be a problem solver? Um, and so my five-and-a-half-year-old has been asked this enough times that she will pause and, and she sees it, as, I think she sees it as a challenge. So she'll look around and, and maybe she'll say, oh, well, I can grab that broom over there and use it to fish the tennis ball out. And um, the, the younger girl, she's, she's getting there, um, but her problem-solving abilities are, are not the same as a five-and-a-half-year-old, but um, I might assist her a little more with, well, could you use the broom or could you use that pillow or could you... Um, so that's, that's our effort in teaching resiliency is, um, fueling their problem solving. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's a connection. Mm -hmm. Well, I only have two more questions for you, Tracy, okay. if that's okay. Uh, the first question is, is there anything I should have asked about that you wish I would have asked about? Oh, goodness. I don't think so, Tim. I've just enjoyed chatting with you and um, the opportunity to, to speak on something that has been so pivotal in my family's life. And we hope that, um, as Dave says, we hope that um, we'll be changing generations for our family. So That's awesome. Yeah, 
thanks for the opportunity to share. My very last question. This yes. is my favorite question. I ask everybody this. Okay, so let's fast forward. You are 100 years old. Okay. You are sitting on the front porch of your house. Um, your husband is holding your hand. Mm -hmm. You're surrounded by your children and grandchildren and maybe great-grandchildren. And somebody, maybe a grandchild, comes up to you and says, Grandma, you and Grandpa did so well financially <laughs> and you're happy on top of it and you're good people. What is your advice for me? What do you say? Oh, my goodness. Uh, um, read, read, read the Bible, read books on um, how to manage money, read books on how to prioritize, just reading. I think it will help um, with the self-discovery piece. And once you can identify what your priorities are, it should guide what you do with your money. Um, and, and your money speaks to what your priorities are, and, and that relationship um, can um, impact the, the course of a person's life. It's a beautiful answer. Tracy, <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate you thank making you time too. for me. Yes, thank you so much. All right, well, we'll have to do this again at some point. I'd like that. Okay, great. <laughs>